I feel if you write a if you write a joke that's so obscure, only one person's gonna get it. Mm. That person will love you forever, because you, you know you made a joke that no one else was ever ever gonna get. Yeah. And and if yeah. No, I agree with you. I love writing in jokes. I think that that's the beauty of in jokes is that they're in. Well, when I see something and it feels like I've seen an in joke that I didn't get i don't feel alienated i feel like oh what's that i bet that's something really funny and then i want to figure out what the joke is now we can see each other a bit better that's great Mm. it's a a weird long table it is a weird long table (laughs) previously i've done it in the other room uh when i've done them here and it's better because we're closer but then there's an echo in the room and you just hear the room sound the whole time but i was saying before we usually do it at nick's place and does he have a little like he'd have a little recording booth i'd imagine for his uh well it's not quite music. a music it's not his it's not a booth but he's kind of converted his room into a studio with a bed in it right and it's quite funny when i've had say like cat stewart come over to do a podcast at his place and his bed is just not made there's just mess everywhere oh yeah i think i saw uh i i saw i just listened to your podcast with paul verhoven oh yeah and uh like you had the picture of, of you and him on that and i think there was an unmade bed in the background and i was like oh that's funny Mm, very very casual and um kind of laid back in that way um sorry just holding my breath while i decide how to begin sure cover it it's a weird thing i i like to i i I like to pretend that we just begin and no one ever notices yeah uh it's kind of like begins and Oh, are we on? Is this the show? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're doing yeah. the show for half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you listen to the one with Paul, you probably heard him do that, and then you heard us have a very similar conversation to what we're having right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's basically repeated material. How are you feeling? You've just um, we've you've just premiered. What's I don't know what the right term is. You've just screened uh, your show Wizards of Oz to the cast and crew last mm-hmm. night, uh, having worked on it. I remember a long time. Yeah, I remember um, Nick Collar, one of your producers, talking to me about it at New Year's Eve last year. I think you just put in your application for the funding, or you just received the funding, or something. Yeah, I think we probably received funding about then. I mean, as as is my memory, I think uh, Nick Issel and I we were writing the show last November, as in November 2014, mm. and now here we are in January 2016. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ! And the show is on TV next week. to you all out there in the coming up next work this is coming up next with alistair marks and i am as the title would suggest alistair marks and your ears do not deceive you this is the second episode i'm putting out this week to celebrate a new year of podcasting and creative endeavor i thought i'd put up a second episode and what a cracking interview it is there's an amazing collective of filmmakers going around melbourne at the moment known as late night films and they're about to launch their first TV series called The Wizards of Oz. You can see it on SBS2 this coming Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, the 19th, 20th and 21st of January 2016. And then it's going to be on SBS On Demand for the whole world to see. I've known and worked with these guys for a number of years and it was my absolute privilege to sit down with the man behind The Wizards of Oz, to sit down with Michael Shanks. And don't forget, friends, or if you never knew this information, here's some new information. You can find me on the social medias at Come Podcast, 
or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cuntpodcast. And if this is the first episode that you've tuned into and you're digging what you're hearing, you will find us on iTunes, on Podbean and on Stitcher. And there's a whole backlog of awesome interviews, awesome chats, well, mostly they're awesome rambles where I chat with creative people about how they've managed to forge a career, following their hearts, following their dreams, about their philosophies and mostly about what makes them silly. And you can find Late Night Films on the social medias at L-A-T-E-N-I-T-E-F-I-L-M-S and on their website at www.L-A-T-E-N-I-T-E-F-I-L-M-S.com and you'll find Michael Shanks on the social medias on YouTube at Tim Tim Fed. Why Tim Tim Fed? Well, you're about to find out. It's the 19th, 20th, and the 21st of January on SBS2. I think so, something like that. And then available immediately on demand on SBS On Demand. And then one month later, available on youtube.com slash timtimfed in ultra HD 4K. <laughs> I assume that was Chris Hawking's idea. Oh, uh, 4K. Fuck yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, like, the, the show is so, so, so post heavy, like, so visual effects heavy. We have like 1200 VFX shots in it, and they mm. were all done by me and Chris. Mm. And I did not want to do 4K ultra HD comps when most people are going to watch it on their phones. Yeah. It's like, yeah. let's just do HD. It'll be quicker, it'll be easier. And he's like, no, we'll future-proof it. And now that we've done it, I'm, I'm happy it's in 4K. Because it's yeah. really cool to be in 4K. But like, he, he disagrees with me, but I feel as though he could have done it in three quarters of the time if mm. we'd done it in HD. But I don't know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I guess it's probably worth it if you're going to future-proof it like, um, like Chris has said. Sorry, just a second. My levels were a bit louder than yours. Oh, okay. Well, I like to be on the same level. That's, that's, that's good. That's I don't why, like to elevate that's myself. Why my too chair's much. a bit shorter. Yeah. Because <laughs> you are a bit taller. It's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you started writing it in November of 2014. Yeah, and then we were filming. I think in Feb, in Feb 2015, and then you know that was a four-week shoot. I think about four weeks, and then it was 36 weeks of uh, visual post-production. Wow. And then, you know, a little bit of sound and music. Uh, and then, then done and dusted. Woo! Mm. Life back. <laughs> Do you feel a little bit empty now that you don't have something to wake up for? No, it's... Well, I feel a little bit bored, I guess. Like, I, I was so looking forward to having free time because the show was, was such such a time-consuming thing. Like, I took one weekend off to go to my brother's wedding. Mm. And I took half a weekend off to go to my sister's wedding. And other than that, I think I worked every single day of the year on the show like literally every single day you know mm. like it's a wonder my girlfriend hasn't left me like <laughs> it's crazy because uh, those days were usually 14 hour days 14 16 hour days like full on you know so all i wanted to do was like you know was 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 to just have have time to like stop sitting at a computer doing visual effects and start sitting at a computer playing fallout 4 mm. and uh you know i did that for like two days after finishing and then got bored of it and mm. I'm like, oh my god! Like, how, how isn't you, you? You must have done that as well when you're like fully time consumed on a project, and then it finishes, and, and like the relief is there, but immediately the, the free time becomes like a prison. You become mm. like like trapped by having so much, so much nothing. Mm. It's weird. Yeah, I was having a conversation with um with someone yesterday at the just before the screening. I know it was just I was having a conversation with someone just after the screening, and I was saying to her how 
you know, I've re- I'm starting to realize that this career path, and I'm doing air quotes, it's not really a career path, it's a lifestyle choice. Mm. And, from, you know, your, your average civilian is always talking about looking forward to long weekends and holidays and this sort of thing. I'm trying to figure out how I can do more work, constantly trying to work out how I can do more, what I can do to, you know, take steps forward and evolve my career and be in those moments where you where I am working and where I am hoping for a few days off, but knowing that I, I, I guess I've kind of done enough now to this point where I don't take it for granted while I'm in it. And I know that even though I want some free time, when I have that free time, I'm going to want to be back in the project or in a project. Yeah, it's like a real grass is always greener kind of scenario. Yeah, which is kind such of. a bummer. Like it, it's so depressing thinking about life going ahead, like going forward. Because <laughs> like no matter what the job is, even if you get that dream job, you're still going to then want the time off. And then as soon as you get that time off, you're going to want the next job. And mm. uh, yeah. well, I think it's about appreciating what you're doing while you're doing it oh, yeah. and when you're doing it. So when you are in the job, you're really immersed and present in that and um for me it's you know you, you probably saw on the the mirror that, it, that i wrote gratitude because i have to remind myself to have gratitude because i think we're very lucky to be able to follow this yeah like crazy dream it's it's i i think i've worked harder this year than any human should you know mm. like it's it's been like if you looked at it from a purely like hours point of view it must seem terrible but it's been like the best like mm. it, it's it's such an an addictive thing and, and maybe that's the the problem maybe because like it's so easy to neglect every other part of your life when you're this entrenched in something mm. and because uh you know i was doing so much on the visual effects of the show like uh I, I became really addicted to the problem solving of that because even if it's work and even if it's tedious because you're like tracing around somebody's face frame by frame for you know eight hours in a row mm. once you've done that you get this like endorphin release and it must be what people get out of like the pokies or something it's just <laughs> i'm lucky that my pokies is like uh is a really rewarding pokies yeah mm. well the pokies is really rewarding when you get that one in ten thousand spin when you get that jackpot oh, I, yeah. I read some stat on reddit today because you know that's always great um, of like, if you drove a mile to get a ticket for the Powerball, you are eight times more likely to die than to win the Powerball, <laughs> which I thought was great. So the moral of the story is... Is just stay at home, never leave. Yeah. The world is a terrifying place. Exactly. Um, so you started shooting in February mm-hmm. You spent the whole year on post and you've been working with this awesome group of guys for the last few years that have really i guess taken your career to a new level hell yeah um and they're and the production company is called late night films mm-hmm. and we've mentioned nick collar and we've spoken about chris hocking and these two guys are kind of the founding fathers if you like of this uh group of, of filmmakers that includes um jared and dan de paris as well um mm-hmm. summer hurley as well as one of our like, producers ad's mm-hmm. Um, and really, uh, Mike Cowp from Screen Australia got up before the screening last night and he started talking about this awesome collective of Australian or Melbourne-based filmmakers that he's witnessed uh, all band together to create this project that you guys have made. And it really made me think that not only is that an accurate thing to say, but also I believe that Late Night Films is really the conduit of this amazing community of filmmakers everything kind of passes through them in one way or another, um, whether it's through Chris or through Nick or through yourself or through either Jared or Dan. 
uh, it certainly feels to me like, um, you know, you guys really kind of touch everyone of our generation in the... Um, we like to touch people. Yeah, yeah, really, really inappropriately on set, yeah, um, we but always with good humour. Yeah, well, um, thanks. I mean, I, I think that's that's so true, and I, I certainly can't take any credit for that. Like, it, it's all Nick and Chris, you know. I mean, Chris is just like he well, you know chris chris is like crazy like people mm. who don't know chris chris hawking is uh, like a producer of at late night films and he just uh, he he's the one that's like the conduit of, of everybody in the world i, I mean yeah. nick as well like especially on the acting side of things but it, like huge production companies will just call chris to fix their problems because he is just like the solver guy like he mm. just understands everything about filmmaking from like the sort of technical end and from the producery end and also has like no ego so he'll just help anybody for free just because like well it's i may as well help them mm. uh so you know if you want stuff done just call chris he'll do it for free yeah, yeah. I, I promise <laughs> yeah if you've got a you know multi-million dollar show that you need to get made yeah. and you just need to get it made for free just chris will do it yeah yeah tell him i sent you he'll probably give you money to do it <laughs> yeah he it's it's just crazy uh like getting getting the show produced was was a, such a hard task from a production point of view because our budget for the series was $300,000, which, mm. you know, sounds like a lot. When I found out that we were able to, like, apply for that, I was like, holy shit, that's way more money than we'll know what to do with. But mm. it's it's so not. It, it runs not out so quickly. Far. Because, like, like from a funding point of view, different to the amateur films that, you know, I normally make and, and we normally make at late night, there's no money. And therefore, nobody gets paid. And so on a budget of nothing you can make stuff pretty cool because ultimately then, you know, we already have a camera, we have a mic, and then if, if actors and a, a couple of guys could come help crew and they don't mind giving up a half day to whatever to shoot something, mm. then I can just spend, you know, a month on the computer making it all work from a technical point of view. Mm. Uh, and then it, technically it was free, you know, technically you made a film for no budget. But when you have uh, government funding, you are required to pay everybody uh, union rates, uh, industry rates, which is fantastic you know like we we didn't want to not pay anybody like mm. everybody who worked on the show was paid and like that was a huge I point got paid twice you got paid twice you bastard That's right. you got paid yeah you got paid infinitely more than i did for acting i right. got paid not a cent wow um but you get all the glory that's and true. you get people coming up to you going you still live at home aren't you like a millionaire because you're on telly in that like yes that's uh, it's exactly i of the three hundred thousand dollars i got millions <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so so that that runs out quickly. I mean, you've got a cast of characters of like over fifty speaking roles, and everybody has to be paid the minimum acting rate, which I, I don't know what that is. It's like seven hundred bucks, all right. Well, something like that. I, mm. I honestly don't know. But you know, you times it by fifty, and already that's a big chunk of the of the money gone, and you've got to hire all the gear and stuff. So it was, uh, and I said this before, it was kind of like dichotomously a really big production because mm. like, oh, we have three hundred thousand dollars, but also like really really small because we needed about ten million dollars. Mm. Like that, that's the sort of budget that the show would have normally had, you know. Uh, especially because we ended up doing thirty six weeks of post production for no money, just Chris and I in mm. in, uh, in my basement, you know, rotoscoping. Mm. That would have been highly tedious i'm sure well it wasn't it wasn't it was actually really great like i i love that stuff so much uh even though it was definitely like a a prison of sorts it was 
as I said, it's, it's the like, addiction to, to finishing things. It mm. really reminds me of video games sometimes, doing visual effects. When you have that many shots, because it's, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. You're trying to get your head around a puzzle, head around a puzzle, and then you solve it, and you finish the shot, and it's like you've, you've beaten a level. And it's mm. like, oh, sick, now I'm onto the next level, and it's like a new challenge. And I really think there must be some sort of like serotonin release every time I complete a shot, mm. uh, which is really dangerous. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, I heard something interesting. I was listening to a podcast um, and they and they referenced some research that had been done that uh, proved that there's a slight serotonin release every time you get a text message. That makes a lot of sense, mm. you know. Mm. All right, and that was kind of a little bit of a scary thought to think about, and it makes sense as well to consider how people do get addicted to text messages and really that kind of quick gratification. We, are, I think the awful thing is that everything is a pokies machine now. I mean, I sort of said that flippantly <laughs> before, but now now I really think that it is, you know, yeah. like you're, it's it's not a new observation, but you look at especially kind of like older people who play games like Candy Crush and get addicted to them. Like they're hiring the people who make pokies machines to develop those games mm. because they know uh, if you push this and a bright colored thing happens and there's like a like a chime and like a positive, like, mm. you know, sick chime, copyrighted, that you can... um. <laughs> You can just like completely addict people. It, it is a drug release in your own brain. Mm, totally. And I, I think the same thing is, is true of just like Facebook as well. You get these little notifications, these little like buttons that come up and bother you. Like it's like you're having a conversation with somebody and suddenly your phone, your pocket is just saying like, fucking look at me. And you're like, Bleh! and you do. And you're like, oh shit, someone like my fucking thing. <laughs> like it, it, it must be addictive. Mm. Otherwise, otherwise the world wouldn't be so obviously addicted to it. Mm. Yeah. And so disconnected from real life. Mm, absolutely i mean i i uh at least pokey machines make you leave the house that's true you know but it's not exactly socializing but you have a one in eight chance greater chance of dying on on the way way to the pokey's machines than see we're learning stuff today we are (laughs) terrifying (laughs) things yeah you can stay here forever if you'd like Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to. I, I don't even drive. I'm the worst. I'm such a, I'm such a child like that. I have my L's license. You don't I, have your L's? No, the only ID I have other than my passport is a key pass. I use a key pass to get in the bars if I get asked for ID. A key pass. Yeah, do you know key passes? I, I have heard of key passes. I got it the week before I turned 18, and mm. it's still the same photo, like chipped, old, crappy thing. I right. really should get a license. <laughs> It'd be so easy to commit identity fraud of me, not giving anybody ideas. Yeah. Um, so... When did you start working with late night films? Um, well, I had been a, I'd been a working at some film stuff, kind of just like on my own with some friends. Uh, I, I started off doing this uh, web series called Doomsday Arcade, mm. which was a. Uh, have you ever Have you ever seen that? I saw, I've seen little bits. It's 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 bad, but like I'm I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. It's like a seventeen year old. Yeah, thing. You, you were, you, and from memory, you'd only just like picked up After Effects. Yeah, very, it, very, it was uh, it was literally the first that. thing I'd ever like filmed. Mm. It was like a, the final week of year twelve. I kind of uh, there, there was like that that website was running a competition, like make a film and and you know you might win a job. And mm. I did, and I did, and it was really really lucky. <laughs> and so I won this job. So I had like two years of just like making this fortnightly web series, uh, full of action and like special effects and comedy and stuff. And and that was I think like where I learned how to write comedy and how to direct uh stuff and mm. how to sort of do the visual effects and uh also like do the sound and, and you know it's kind of like learning and that's the thing i'm most kind of proud of as a filmmaker is the fact that i think i can do most aspects of the job a little bit you know so i think i've got a good understanding of, of how it all works as opposed mm. to i know like some directors you know like they're keen on directing mm. but they don't necessarily know how to do other things 
which doesn't necessarily make them good or bad, but I, I would struggle to, I think, communicate with a crew unless I really understood what everybody was doing. And I do mm. struggle to communicate with the crew on set because that's what I'm not good at. Like, Because yeah, yeah. most of my filmmaking was done me and a friend with a camera, you know? Like the, the final episode of Doomsday Arcade, I couldn't find somebody else to play another character. So I played two characters talking to each other mm-hmm. with no crew. So I went down to the lakes and set up a camera, hit record, ran in front of the camera, did a line, spun the camera around, hit record, changed shirt, got in front of the camera and did another <laughs> line back to it. Just like by myself, like some madman. So anyway, I've been doing that for a couple of years. And uh, then I was at an airport and I bumped into a friend of mine uh, from high school who uh, was at the time dating Nick Collar. And she was like, oh, hey, uh, my boyfriend's here. He does film. You guys should connect. And I was like, oh, airports. And then we uh, sat down and, and had coffee. And Nick invited me to come and co-direct uh, the 48-hour film festival with him, like which was like a couple of weeks away. And so I was like, okay, that's really cool. And that I was, was like, in that one. Yeah, you were. Yeah. That was the first time I met you. Mm. It's the first time I met anybody. You know, I was like this. I felt pretty fraudulent, like coming in as like co-director, like being just some skinny dickhead like mm. I, I didn't know what a, what, a, what a lens was you know like i hadn't used a camera with detachable lenses before and ben was there with this huge red camera which i think was marcel's camera i think we borrowed it from him and halford or something like that right and uh yeah it was a crazy experience and since then we've just we've just been kind of like working together mm. it's been awesome it's very cool and how how important was it for you i guess you probably don't really know any other way but crafting your own kind of work and i mean to look at your credits list on Wizards of Oz, for example, is quite astounding. Um, you you wrote it, you directed it, you were the leading actor in it, you did all the music for it. What else? That- uh, yeah, visual effects, music. Uh, I suppose that, that's getting out of like Chris and I edited it, mm. um, so I suppose that's another another little job. Uh, but also even like things like at the moment I'm doing like. Figuring out, like, I'm doing, like, the posters and, and merchandising kind of graphic stuff. Mm. Um, and, and partially one of the reasons why I did all this stuff is for budget reasons. Like, as I said, we, not having to pay the lead actor probably saved us close to 20 grand or something, you know? Mm. And, and we, we've only got 300 grand to work with. Like, that's that's a big, big thing. Because I'm, I'm really not an actor. I think I'm okay in the show. I think I have a decent job. But, like, I'm not... I thought you did a great job. Oh, thank you very much. But I, I, I don't know if I'll ever act again. Like, I certainly would never call myself an actor. I don't know mm. what I'm doing. I can just pull dumb faces and I sort of understand timing, so mm. I'm okay. Um, but, like, with the other jobs, again, we didn't have to pay a composer because I just did the music, so that's great. But also, like, I wanted to do that. Mm. I, I don't understand why, like, it, it. I think it is rare for somebody to do that many jobs on, on a shoot. And I'm sure there's all sorts of reasons why people don't do it, but I don't understand why people don't. Like, like mm. when I say I want to make a film, I don't want to just tell actors where to stand. I want to, I want to do the visual effects. Like, like even if you know I end up making Star Wars Episode 35 and and ILM are doing the visual effects, like <laughs> I still want to do a couple of shots. That'll be too much fun to not do. You know, I'd mm. still like to be involved in the music because I want to, I want to make the film. I don't want to just do a part of it. I want to, I want to really feel like I have done every single thing on that film to the best of my abilities and obviously you can't do everything but you know i, I can try mm. Mm. speaking of star wars you made that uh you made a trailer parody shortly after they released the um trailer for the first trailer for force awakens and that went batshit crazy yeah that went that went uh that went as the industry says a viral uh, <laughs> uh yeah te- that, that, viral that, tentacles vi- viral tentacles yeah right. the um that that was yeah we I, I I got that done in the day, 
of the trailer being released. I think it was like within 24 hours of it dropping. Mm. Uh, I, had, I had plans with my girlfriend that day. Again, I'm just the worst boyfriend. And I was going to go meet her. And then I called her and said like, I'm not going to come. And she was like, why? It's like, I've come up with a funny Star Wars parody. I'll see it at night. And so I stayed at home and, and edited this trailer. It was like the, uh, for anybody who might have seen it, it was like that George Lucas special edition uh, uh, a teaser where it was like, I, I sort of like comped in a bunch of weird, unnecessary visual effects over the top of the footage, like what George Lucas did with the special edition releases of the uh, original trilogy. And it just exploded, you know? It had, like, I think, like, 9 million views in the first, like, week or something. And now mm. it's on, I don't know, 12 million or, or some such, which is... Crazy. Uh, which is, yeah, qu- qu- quite a lot. And, um, and well, you have to go to the States. Well, well yeah. Well, that, that's that's not what got me to the States, actually. Right. So so uh, I got... um The previous year, I had been making a, a short film kind of over the year. Well, actually, the short film only really took a few months, but I... I had done it like a year previous. Mm. Made the short film for Tropfest. Uh, uh, time Trap? Time Trap, yeah. It's like a sort of like a little like Mr. Bean in space kind of like like silent movie, like Buster Keaton, but like modern sci-fi. It was the kind of pitch, I guess, to no one. I didn't pitch it. I just made it. Like, <laughs> it was the pitch to yourself in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, the pitch was to myself. Um, I guess it was sort of like a like a live-action kind of Pixar short is what I wanted to do with it. Mm. And uh, I made that for Tropfest. It didn't get in, which was a bummer. Uh, but then... When I was waiting for a, a good time to put that online because I'd put a, my heart and soul on that film and I thought it was quite good. And then that George Lucas thing got 9 million hits on my YouTube pa- uh, page, which already had, you know, like a fairly decent subscriber base. Uh, but there was so much traffic that I thought, like, I should I should release that film now because presumably more people will watch it whilst there's millions of people coming to this page than, than they will otherwise. Mm. And I did the douchebag thing of, like, putting it up the next day and adding an annotation on the George Lucas video of, like, click here to see our new space movie yeah, yeah. or whatever. And, yeah, now that, that that short ended up getting a few million views, which wow. is pretty crazy. I think, it's on, awesome. like, I think it's on two million or something, which is pretty pretty exciting for, like, mm. a, an amateur independent short film in Melbourne. Uh, and that short film sort of caught the eye of uh, basically every single person in, in LA, and so that that kind of is what got me over there to to, wow. to do all that meeting stuff. And That's amazing. Get some management, which was really cool. Yeah. What was that experience like? It was um, I don't know. I, I think I'm I'm just like a really cynical person, mm. uh, which is not something I'm like super proud of. But I, I feel for several people, and I'm not saying I'm better than this point of view because I'm really not. I'm the worst. For several people, that would have been a real dream come true. But to me, all it was was some meetings with mm. with decent prospects. But un- until you've got a job from anything, it, it, like none of it matters. And as much as people were trying to, there were some people over there who were really trying to like, well, I'm not gonna say wine and dine, but you know, like like people like really nice saying, oh, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. I take you out to like nice restaurants and they buy you expensive food. And I, I think you know, you, you, it's very hard to not immediately say yes, yes, oh God, yes, because. You've been courted so very, very well. Mm. But uh, no, I, I really like, you know, uh, I took my time to figure out what I wanted to, to do over there. And um, the, the frustrating thing was, is that I eventually kind of like did sign with some people and they were talking about like, hey, we can, uh, what do you want to do? Here's some scripts for this, these films. And I was sending me like some film scripts. And I was like, look, this is already well and good, but can you get back to me in nine months? Because I have to go shoot a web series about a wizard man in Melbourne because, <laughs> you know, we'd already written the show whilst that was happening. Uh, so I had to come back and do that, which was, uh, you know, maybe bad timing, but I, the shows turned out really well, I think, mm. and, and turned out like like it was picked up by a TV network. So I guess in that way, it's kind of 
gone better than anticipated but, but the la thing was cool and, and on the the george lucas thing i ended up having a meeting with a with bad robot which was pretty pretty amazing wow. like like during the whole star wars uh, cool. oh it was so cool man like I'm, and it was just a general meeting which which everyone has general meetings it doesn't really mean anything they just go and say like oh so you sure it was really nice you know like like your agents did a good like, i was just basically uh the, some of the guys who wanted to me to sign with him were like would you want to go for a meeting with bad robot and i was like yeah <laughs> and so i was like well if they do that maybe I'll, I'll maybe these are the guys and it turns out that they were the guys they had a little meeting with a with the guys at Bad Robot because they own the rights to every single property I would love to work on. They've got like the Half-Life movie and the Portal movie. Like, yeah, that's that's what you want. But um, what was great is is just in the meeting, as it was wrapping up, I was like, I don't know if I should mention this, but I made this like the this like parody trailer of Star Wars, the George Lucas thing, and they were like, the George Lucas special edition trailer. We love that. We watch that all the time in the office. <laughs> and then he went and introduced me to like some guys. I was like, this is the guy that made the George Lucas trailer. And so that was really funny that like you know the people who were making Star Wars had watched the the Star Wars uh, like parody. I hate mm. that word. Uh, you know that I made. That was fun. That was actually a really really cool day because going back to the whole After Effects thing, like learning visual effects, like everybody who's ever even looked at after effects knows that andrew kramer is the reason anybody knows how to, how to use that software like he, he writes he wrote like element 3d the, the amazing 3d plugin for that but he, he does tutorials and you know every single thing that i know about using after effects which i think is kind of the reason i have a, a somewhat of a career in the first place is because of andrew kramer just like doing these like free tutorials and i'm realized halfway through the meeting that i was like wait andrew kramer works here now doesn't he? he's like yeah he's upstairs do you want to meet him and i was like nah. and and so i got to like meet him and that was like a true like meeting a hero moment that was like incredible and he was he was very nice about you know having some weird sweaty australian kid be like i like your, your videos it's fun and he was you know really really great I, he was working on star wars at the time and wow. I, I didn't get to see his monitor i was like god damn it uh yeah it was uh it was Just cool to the be the monitor off button as you walked in <laughs> yeah. the door Yes, facing the other way. I just want to be like, well, what, what, are you, what are you doing there, buddy? Uh, yeah, that was a compositing Jabba the Hutt into, uh, into, in, into every shot. shot yeah. yeah, I do wonder what he did in the show because uh, I, I think, you know, I, if, I would like to think of him as still using After Effects on a big job like that. So he's probably mm. doing something 2D. My, 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 this is a boring conversation. I imagine he probably did something like the BB-8 kind of a like lens, like you know how on BB-8's lens and the new Star Wars is there's like little writing on it. Like mm. I'm thinking, like that's a compositor's job. I wonder if that was him, but. You know, we'll see. Mm. I, I presume you took a night off to go and see the new Star Wars whilst you were still editing Wizards. That's exactly what happened. Chris and I went to the midnight screening to go see that. Oh, you uh, went to the midnight screening? Yeah, yeah. And then we were back up early to work the next day. But, but that, by that point, we were in sound, but still, like, so much sound stuff needed to be done. Craig Jansen? Craig Jansen, the one and only. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. He did a great job. Oh, I mean, he I think did. Everyone did a great fantastic job. Fantastic job. Yeah, thanks. I, I think everybody really pulled together. Like, it, it's a pretty. Yeah, I, I, th I hope people will like the show. I mean, what, what I'm really proud of with, with all the work that I do is that it seems to translate well beyond Australia. And I, I think a lot of that's because I, I do a lot of silent stuff. Like, I do a lot of stuff where the accent wouldn't be an issue. But also, uh, a, a, a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, still has dialogue in it and seems to do, like, fairly well uh, overseas. Like, a, a sketch a sketch of, of, of mine just got played on... Uh, adult swim the other week oh, wow. which is really really cool for one of their shows um and so i'd like to think that even though this is like a weird little australian show that i think people uh internationally are still actually going to like it because there's more to the comedy than just kind of like the dialogue it, it's still like a really crazy like visually based show which is really like 
what I'm passionate about as a filmmaker. And there's never been a non-douchebag who's ever said a sentence that ends with as a filmmaker. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I say it all the time. As a filmmaker. <laughs> Michael's just taking a second to vomit. Yeah, that's it. Into a bag that mm. says I'm a filmmaker. This is, this is good tea with soy milk. I'm enjoying it, in spite of the fact that it has soy milk. In spite of the fact yeah, that well, it has I love milk. a soy milk in a coffee or on your cereal. It adds a nutty taste. Mm. But to tea, it's not my preference. But this is pretty good. Mm. I'm enjoying it a lot. So, you know, if, if you want me to plug it. Uh... Yeah, well, thank you. I was, I'll pay you after. It's not, it's not my brand, though. I ran out of my own personal brand of... Um... Mark's Milk! <laughs> Mark's Milk. Uh, so, a lot of the stuff that you did, I guess, post uh, Doomsday was really, uh, since I, when I first met you, was a lot of video game parody sort mm. of stuff. I did the Hitman video with yeah, you, yeah, where yeah. I shaved my head bald. Yeah, and you looked beautiful. <laughs> you changed the color of my eyes. Yeah, that was weird, right? It was weird. But, you know, I understand why you did it, because mm. brown looks like poo. That's true. Um <laughs> And blue looks like rippling oceans of Thailand beach. That's great. You can stare at these baby blues as long as you like. That's that was my one note to the color grader on the on the on the show. Like, do anything you like, but those baby blues. I want those baby blues to to really stand out. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did a lot of like video game stuff because Doomsday was a, a video game series. You know, it was uh, for an American video game website. And uh, excuse me, um, I, I really like video games. I li- I was really into them a lot more back then. Uh, and so I, I guess I had like a little bit of a residual, I hasten, I hasten to call it a fan base, but you know, I guess like some sort of audience uh, for my work that was really video game inclined, uh, but it wasn't as cynical as that makes it sound. It wasn't like I was like, if I make it video games, people will like it. It was just what I'd been doing and I, I discovered I was, I was quite... I, I was quite good at it, I guess. It was kind of making fun of video game tropes. And also, like, I loved it. Like, I, I spent so much of my time back then playing video games and all I was doing was... Uh, as well as enjoying them, just like thinking about how stupid they are, or how mm. how funny all the limitations of, of video game stuff is. Mm. So there was a lot of that stuff. Although these days I, I haven't done a, a, a lot because I, you know I didn't play a video game all year because I was working. I didn't really watch any TV either or mini movies. I just fucking worked the whole year. Mm. But now I'm playing Fallout Four, enjoying that. Not loving it, but I'm enjoying it enough. Good. I got Star Wars Battlefront, mm, I which I can't play. Because uh, the servers, I have a glitch with my copy for some reason. I can't join any servers, which is a real bummer. That is a bummer. It's a real bummer because I love Star Wars and I love like Battlefield. And so this should be a, a good game for me, but whatever. There's no storyline in Battlefront though. Well, that's, it's that's all multiplayer. That's a, that's a problem. I mean, I, I don't mind multiplayer if I can play with friends because then it's almost like a social thing. It's almost like going and playing indoor soccer with your buddies. It's just kind of like a little squad thing. But for, for I, I can't really get into like MMOs or anything like that because I want my video games to be... Uh, uh, video games give to me what I also get out of books. It's like a forty-hour narrative experience. Like that's why something like The Last of Us I love. Yeah, did you play that game at all? I, I started it. So you didn't love it? No, no, I did enjoy it, but I, I don't know. I find it difficult to get immersed in games these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from franchise games that I'm already have an emotional investment in, which is basically these days God of War and Bioshock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Infinite's one of my favorite games ever. Yeah. I loved Infinite. A yeah. lot of people didn't like it because they found the gameplay like repetitive. But yeah. I don't really mind that because to me, games aren't about the gameplay, which is so bad. Like, But that, that's why I love indie games because they are about gameplay and they're awesome. You can play them in a couple of hours and it's great. Like, All I want to do is play quirky indie games mm. or 
massively high budget story games and that was what infinite is to me bioshock infinite just has the greatest story like the the way that that kind of all the twists work out i mean maybe looking back on it now it's not as good but whilst i was playing and whilst i was in it and immersed in that world i was blown away by the writing and the and the 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 arc of that game it's so crazy weird Mm. loved it the way that they construct the universe is pretty amazing. Universes, yeah. Mm. Stylistically, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think that yeah, Bioshock is probably my favorite series of of games. Actually, mm. that's a new revelation, but I think that's probably true. And you're learning more things today. I, I know. Well, I do love I do love me some Zelda. Oh yeah, yeah, I love me some Zelda. But you that's that's just Zelda. a nostalgia trip for me, probably at, at this point, because mm. I'm not normally into those sorts of games. But I love Zelda so much as a kid that now I can just play any new Zelda and just be into it. Mm. So I'm probably just a fanboy. Mm. I'm a bit like that with God of War. Yeah, love God of War. No, I, I I don't really I have a PlayStation. Kratos. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They um, I I think I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. But I've read the script for the God of War movie. There's a God which, of War movie? No, there isn't. But they wrote a script for one years and years and years ago. And it didn't go anywhere. And somebody got me a copy of that script. And I've, 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 I didn't even read the whole thing. I started reading it. So, yeah. That was fun. I imagine it was not great. I can't even remember. But uh, it didn't get made. So, I mm. suppose that's uh, Maybe something. it was so good that they thought this will kill the video game franchise. We better not make it yet. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I really... I, I made some queries being very, very, very hopeful and ridiculous. I was like, when I was in America, it's like, who's got the Bioshock rights? Because I know that was going to be a movie. What's happening with that? And I mm. just think that's in, just never going to be made, which mm. is like a bummer. Because that, that sh- would be a kick-ass movie. Would be, well, potentially, but there's not many video game movies that translate well. Yeah, I know. Well, every video game movie so far has sucked. Uh, I, I think there's the... Except for Street Fighter. Except for Street Kyle Fighter, which is great. Kyle Minogue with a rocket launcher that just yeah. doesn't happen in enough movies. It's only <laughs> happened, by my count, once. Yeah. And in that one episode of Neighbours. Uh, yeah. The but the, uh, the the Joseph Kurzel, is that his name? He's doing the Assassin's Creed movie oh, yeah. with Michael Fassbender direct, uh, acting and producing it. Wow. And that's a pretty good pedigree, right? Yeah, like, yeah. That, that could actually be good. I, I would be surprised if it sucks, certainly. Mm. Um, but I, I just don't think they know how, how to do it. Like, I think I would love to make a video game film. Like that That's a full pie in the sky, ridiculous, never going to happen dream of mine. Mm. Because I, I think I would kind of know what to, to do with it you more than, say, like some it. you know some suits who are like, they can't like Mario. That'll be a good movie. Meh. Even though it has no story or real characters. We'll like John Leguizamo yeah. and... Uh... And Dennis Hopper and Bob Hoskins. Bob I, Hoskins. I rewatched that really recently with my buddy Nick and... It's it's just the worst movie ever made. <laughs> At least it gave us that everybody walked the dinosaur because I'm pretty sure that was written for that movie. Right, uh, and and that's uh, the, so it's contributed to culture mm. infinitely. What about the Goombas, that? like dancing in the elevator? Yeah, it's like they're little mushroom men, but instead they're like dinosaur, like giant dinosaurs with like tiny heads. It's, it's just like <laughs> such a weird movie. It feels like I don't know if this was the case. Like, you know how every Die Hard is just a repurposed script? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, here we've got this movie, and it's about, like, a, a, a guy in an airport, and something happens. And they're like, well, why don't we just make it Die Hard 2, and we'll rename the character John McClane? Like, that, all Die Hard movies begin as other scripts. Mm. I wonder if that's what the Mario movie was, because it's so it far away. Plumbers. Yeah, like... A couple of plumbers. Well, it, it just started as some random adventure movie, and they're like, well, we'll make them plumbers. We'll add a weird scene at the beginning where they're plumbers. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but um, you know, I think certain games could make really, really cool movies. Uh, mm. I just think 
you need to you need to ignore all of the gameplay. You can't adapt gameplay into a film. You've, Doom you've, tried to do it. Well, Doom did. I actually that's my favorite thing about the Doom movie mm. is because the rest of it's so generic. At least there's this kind of weird first person scene. I would have done the whole Doom movie first person, mm. which is probably a really bad idea. But they they've they've just made a film that's entirely first person the whole time. Yeah, right. Um, what's it called? It's called something. It's not called Nonstop because that was that Liam Neeson plane movie. But it's called something along those lines. It's called Hardcore, I think. Mm. And it's uh, it's Shalto Copley, but like from his point of view, like a, a POV action movie. And right. it's probably a bad idea for a full 90-minute feature. It just looks like it would get a bit dizzying, but I'm up for it. Like, I think it's really cool that they're going for it. Mm. But if I would have made the Doom movie, I, I, I did actually think about this back in, the, back in the day. I would have tried to see if maybe a first-person film could have worked, but have it as like a horror movie. Because I guess there's a precedent. Found footage movies are just first-person movies. That's all they are. Um, and you play up the horror elements of Doom. Like I just I like Doom Three a lot. Now, that could have been interesting. Probably still a bad idea. I'm not making much of a case of myself as the guy <laughs> to make a video game movie here. Well, not the Doom movie. No, no. I always uh, thought Half Life would be a cool movie or Portal. Uh, are they going to make another Half Life game? That that's, that was one of the franchises I was into. Oh man, I was so into that. Like I still am. Like I, I'm still like a sad guy who like will occasionally check the Half Life subreddit and be like, any clues, guys? <laughs> like there was a, an ARG the other the other week that. What's an ARG? An ARG. ARGs are my favorite thing in the world. They right. never happen. I can't penetrate them because they're way too complex for me. But they're so much fun. They stand for alternate reality games. Have you ever come across these? No. And and Valve, who who developed uh, Half Life and Portal, like do these things, and they do them really well. Like they did an ARG, which is what uh, released Portal, which was what announced Portal Two was coming out. So basically, what happened is they uh, they put an update into Portal where they changed like in, in Portal Portal's a video game. You all know what Portal is. Uh, and there's a little radios around that just like kind of play little music. And then this update happened, and suddenly the radios were playing like this weird kind of static. Mm. And if you carried the radio into random places, the static would turn to like or something. And you analyze that audio on like a spectrograph, and it would form a picture with a numerical code. And people were like, what is this? And they type that code into some website that they found from another radio image, and it gives you like a clue and like map coordinates and some guy goes to the map coordinates in real life and finds like this picture that's like a clue and it's just like this whole community of crazy smart internet nerds like dissects these amazingly complex like uh, enigma code level puzzles and at mm. the end it's like eh, it was all for bottle two like i don't know i just i really like that sort of stuff <laughs> I, lo- I love watching like the internet as a resource for problem solving mm. and yes, uh, valve just did an- another little arg a couple of weeks ago but i think it was just some little fun game about the steam uh steam holiday sale nothing too fun but right. it's just so much fun seeing people decode things and ah love it, there's, love it, love your, it, love it. Uh, there's your video game movie what people are solving solving puzzles mm. Mm. sounds ARG. But, but you make it like i don't know have you watched mr robot no i haven't seen it oh you wouldn't yeah have. you should watch mr robot yeah my girlfriend's just started uh, it'll be something i could actually do with her mm. it's, uh, unless they release another star wars trailer for Rogue oh, One. That, that's true yeah uh, that'll be cool. I, I'm looking forward to that. I really, I'm interested by Gareth Edwards uh, as a director for sure. Mm. He's doing Rogue One, right? I, not sure. Right. Well, he, he did Monsters. You know Monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I see a lot of like, I see like a lot of uh, similarities 
with, I guess, myself and Gareth Edwards. Except, obviously, I'm shit. I'm a hack. I'm an idiot. I'm a loser. Uh, but Very self-deprecating. Oh, no, not really. I, like, I, But I'm also simultaneously clearly a narcissist because I just put myself in a show. Um, uh, I'm just awful. Uh, but Gareth Edwards, like, he, he's just like an After Effects guy. Like, like he, he just does his own visual effects because... And I think he does music as well. Like, he, he just makes films and he doesn't wait for somebody to hand him the money to do it. He'll mm. just... Well, I don't have money for VFX. I'll just do it myself. Like, you know, I really like that attitude. And from his, I've actually watched like a tutorial series he did uh, on creating big crowds for for medieval battles that he did mm. before he was a well-known director. And I actually used that for Wizards for the big crowd shots oh, at the wow. beginning. Was was like based on a Garrett Edwards uh, tutorial. A uh, different technique, but same kind of approach. Uh, and you know, and, and from that he just made monsters. This amazing movie. I think it's actually a really beautiful film. I, mm. I, I really, really liked it. And and from that he got the Godzilla movie, which which I didn't really love to be honest. I, I didn't think it was bad. I just I just found uh, I I didn't get into the main characters super much. You know, like the most interesting character in the movie was killed off really quickly, mm. and then after that I was just kind of struggled to find like a human connection. But I I still thought like all the the direction of all the action and and the spectacle of it was really really amazing. Mm. Like in Deep Blue Sea where they kill off. Sam Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Character. But that's the only flaw of that movie. Yeah. Deep Blue Sea is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that that is a crazy scene. Like that has got to be the like that's like a the Rick Roll of cinema. Mm. It, it's like Sam Jackson's just talking to a bunch of scuba divers and he's like, and remember, and suddenly a shark jumps out of a puddle and murders him. Yeah. And everyone's just like, uh, f- fair enough. Shit. Mm. It's such a crazy, Moving crazy on. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the first time that movie's ever been referenced in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure that it is not. Mm. Uh, there's so many bad movie podcasts. Are you like a That's bad true. movie guy? Do you like that stuff? I don't mind. I don't mind a good bad movie. Like, but I have. I think I have a different idea of what bad movies are. Like, Bubba Hotep, really bad movie. Planet Terror, awesome shit movie. Mm. I've never seen Bubba Hotep. I thought that would be quite good. No. Uh, what's that director's name? He's an interesting guy. He did uh, uh, John Dies at the end, and mm. uh, uh, I can't remember. And Phasmagoria, whatever that movie is, one of those things. Mm. Um, um, so uh, the first, as I, as I was saying before, the, a lot of the stuff that you did when I first met you was mm-hmm. sort of grounded in video games and there wasn't a lot of, uh, sort of scripts and storying involved in that sort of stuff. And then you made uh, time trap, which was there, was there anything that you made before that, that was, um, scripted in that way? Obviously doomsday was. Yeah. Well, well, well doomsday, like, as I say, it's not great because you know I made it between the ages of seventeen and nineteen, but that was twenty-five episodes of, mm. of full dialogue comedy. So it, I think that was a really good testing ground to figure out like how to kind of write write scenes and write dialogue, you know, and sort of like write sort of goofy characters. Mm. But um, yeah, then then it was just sketch writing, you know, uh, the video game stuff. Uh, especially, I did a little Bioshock sketch that you know is, isn't wonderful, but that was sort of a testing ground for Wizards. Mm. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, I don't know with, if you uh, with Mahalia. Yeah, Mahalia's in it, yeah. Because uh, by that point, I had already had the concept for Wizards, which you know could essentially be boiled down to magical ridiculousness lives in the suburbs. Mm. And I thought, we're never going to make Wizards. I think Bioshock's a really great game. Let's just write that as a little sketch in the style of, of how we would do Wizards if, if we you know were going to. And so me and Nick, uh, we, we wrote that sketch together, and it essentially is kind of it's pretty similar tonally to what wizards is is Mm. is, you know like really like naturalistic dialogue or trying to kind of like underplay the fact like even though our main character is is 
in that sketch is Booker, this kind of ridiculous guy. Like, don't don't do an American accent. Don't don't do a character. Just 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 like be a person. Mm. Like that's what I that's what I want from my main characters, even in sketches. Like if that sketch had start had had an actor or had me being like, hey, uh, what's up? My name's Booker. I'm from America. Like already that would have just been like so painful. Like and I mean I'm not a good actor, but I think if you're trying to certainly if I'm trying to do too much, like if I'm trying to do a, a big character, I can't be funny. Because I'm putting all my energy into maintaining an accent, maintaining a stance, maintaining a gait, whilst, you know, kind of just like being pretty normal and just worrying about the timing of the joke, I find mm. a, a lot easier. So I've gone off completely off topic here, but like, right. yeah, that was a, that that was kind of a, a weird sort of script test, I guess, for, for Wizards in a way. And then from that, uh, Time Trap, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, one of the things I do love about all of your work is the imagination that you put into it. And I think you kind of, it's a great example um, of a way of letting your imagination run wild and presumably you rein it back in at some point but it's very apparent that you don't the first layer is a non-judgment kind of mm. expression of your imagination and your creativity and then it's like okay well now what fits into the story here and what what's actually going to work and and um, compel and i think the juxtaposition as you say dick word i think the the contrast between um the visual and the um the what's being said because they're so almost polarizing it works to create really great comedy yeah thanks yeah well i I think that is i I suppose if i had a style of comedy it it would be basically that is uh like i love and everybody loves this movie and they should because it's the fucking best but i think like Shaun of the dead is Mm. is and hot fuzz is probably my favorite movie of all time mm. but i think Shaun of the dead is a really good example of that of that dryness mm. you know there's that scene where right at the beginning of that movie sean is uh uh ed says are there any zombies out there sean looks out the window and says oh no uh, so he's like oh i think it's all clear and then he notices zombies like a huge amount of zombies and he just goes like oh no there they are it's just like it's just like the the, the lowest key reaction like yeah. I, I just always love that stuff and my, my favorite books are uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i love 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 those books just mm. arthur dent uh you know a, a british man really plain average british guy in, in space is just such a funny thing for me and, and that's for me writing the show i kind of wanted to always have it a little bit like hitchhiker's guide to the fantasy mm. like i am um, it, it's almost like an inverse hitchhiker's guide in terms of the plot because hitchhiker's guide is is you take a normal guy and put him in the absurd environment whilst wizards is kind of like you take a guy from the absurd environment and put him into the normal society mm. it, it's 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 sort of just a reverse hitchhikers you know mm. i just ripped it off i'm a hack um i'm gonna give you a big compliment i was actually saying to uh collar not long ago that I thought wizards would be light spaced. Oh, great! Um, and I've always thought of your work as being very, in your own way, but very Edgar Wrighty. Like, not that your work's Edgar Wrighty, but I feel like tonally, I I can um, I see the influence there, and I could see you following a similar career trajectory. Oh, thank you. Like, I mean, yeah, that's a huge compliment. Edgar Wright is, I think the best working director like certainly the best comedy director mm. i was talking about this with my girlfriend the other day we were talking about sisters that new tina fey and apollo movie i haven't actually seen it to be honest so i i so whatever i say now is bullshit and call call me a, a, an idiot but You're an idiot but um have you seen it no i mean i i love tina fey i love amy poller that is a great cast for a movie but before seeing it i kind of know that i'm gonna walk out of the cinema and be like 
Yeah, it was okay. Mm. Like, you never go and see a comedy movie. Like, comedy TV is great. 30 mm. Rock is one of the best shows ever made. And Parks and Rec, I think, is, is really great for most of the seasons. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you go to a comedy movie, like an American modern comedy movie, and fucking... It's, it's so uninteresting. It, mm. It's just people improvising eight takes of each line. And then in the editing room they stitch together the funniest takes of those lines. And then that's your movie. And it's kind of funny because you're watching funny people kind of say funny things, but it's so uninspiring. But you go and see Hot Fuzz and you walk out feeling electric because mm. it's, it's, it's not, you know, I, I think improv is, is problematic because it can, it's hard to craft a tightly constructed kind of like uh, comedy film if, if everybody's improvising all the time because then you, you just got to cover it, you know? And I, I think... What, what a trap that directors can fall into or just a style of directing you know, my style is you know I have I do have some sort of a style and it's not necessarily right you know it's just it's just it's Edgar Wright um, <laughs> it's not necessarily good it's, it's just that? to my tastes what, it's Morgan Wright oh that's it Morgan Wright there you go reference to Wizards of Oz there we go you'll be able to learn about that reference on Tuesday on night on uh, SBS2 when you hear all about the abracadingdong abracadingdong that's probably my favourite line it's a good line right that's, that's one, line. one of Nick's it's a good one yeah. any good line's probably Nick's uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah I think that directors especially with comedy can really just worry about the actors and, and nothing else and that that's all well and good that, that's, that's a, a completely fine way to make a movie but i mean i i i, I feel there's so much else to worry about i i, I feel like I, I spend most time directing camera more than anything else mm. especially with wizards it was like let's just cast people who will do a good job like for example mark from auntie donna like i didn't need to direct him he just nailed it you know like he he his instincts were perfect and he just he just he just basically did every first take of mark was as good as his last because he was just so damn good mm. whilst i spent most of my time being like oh but this needs to be a close and we need to do a whip pan to this otherwise the jokes are going to work like I, I like really tightly choreographed like constructed comedy as opposed to say what i'm guessing sisters is which is coverage I, coverage really bores me i don't mm. want to just cover the scene in a lens i want to construct i, I want to make a, a moving comic book you know mm. like really really you want to like, create a world and let people immerse themselves in it. Yeah, like, and and I feel all that stuff mainly happens in animation. Like Pixar movies are so good because they they tell jokes visually. They they do all this amazing stuff with their shot sizes and and camera moves and mm. and framing and blocking that I, I don't see in live action comedies. And so I, I want to try be doing like kind of live action Pixar or kind of Edgar Wright or Sam Raimi style stuff. Like Sam Raimi, he doesn't really do comedies, but but his his films are just like that. I rewatched Spider Man Two recently. Mm. Rewatch Spider Man Two. That mm. is my advice to anybody. Put it on that wall behind you somewhere. Oh yeah, it's 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 great. It's really great. You think like, how can Spider Man Two be great? And I remembered it being like, oh, it's just like a movie. It's fine. But you rewatch it, like it is incredibly well crafted, incredibly mm. well directed. It's such a fun movie. Um, yeah, and and you know that that's not a movie of coverage. That's what the Amazing Spider Man movies were. Like mm. they suck. You know, it's just like coverage, coverage, boring, boring, boring. <laughs> So how did you, I mean, you said that you designed Wizards in a way, uh, in your words, ripping off um, Hitchhiker's Guide mm. in a kind of inverse fashion. The story itself is quite politically slanted um, and is really grounded in, I mean, I know we've talked a lot about how you're a really visual kind of director, but it is really a character show mm. um, and it's driven by the characters. What was the inspiration, I guess, for the story? And to turn around the scripts that you have in two months or something is quite phenomenal. Yeah, well, 
I think it's definitely character. It's got to be characters, like because because visual like visuals aren't funny by themselves. You know, they've they've got to be all based around the characters. And I, I like to think that when people watch the show, what I think they will, you know, actually like about the show is the characters. You know, even like our weird little one-off sort of characters, like Lord Mummy. I think Lord Mummy's going to be like a big favorite. I think mm. Terry's really great. Mm-hmm. You know, these sorts of things. Voiced by Voiced Samuel, by Johnson. Samuel Johnson himself. Who, man, what a champ. I'd never met him before. And he just came into the studio and did that. And, you know, man, he was so good. Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah, really good. Great. Yeah. Like, so, so like, a, there's such a, like emotion and like, depth to his voice mm. especially because he is the voice of australia like he yeah. really is it's such an iconic voice um yeah sorry i've completely lost my train of thought what we, we're talking about character. iconic characters yeah i, I mean you, you you've just got to start off with character if you're if, if you're doing a poster for your movie you don't do a poster of a visual effect you do a poster of a face of a character because that's what people connect to like that's all that matters mm. you know as much as i was just ragging on sisters like i think Parks and Rec is a great show, and and that that is a show of coverage. But that's great because it's a really well balanced cast of characters, and, mm. and and the characters are all there. Um, yeah. Although I felt like that show went on a couple of seasons too long. Explain maybe just for the people listening at home what you mean by a show of coverage. Oh, so so coverage is like I mean I'm still I feel like I didn't go to film school, so all these words I just pick up on set. So I don't I might be wrong here, but as as is my definition, I mean as as is my understanding, coverage is just i guess covering the scene with with your lens so t- typical coverage for a scene two characters are talking al and i are talking right now at this table we get a close-up of al we get a close-up of me and we get a wide shot master which has the whole scene and using those three shots we can cut a typical dialogue scene and mm. that's basically how most movies are made and so it's obviously it obviously works it's great but i you know just watch Keep that in mind and then go and watch Hot Fuzz. Mm. Or keep that in mind and go and watch Spider-Man 2. Like, Much more meticulously planned. Yeah, like, I love directing dialogue like it's action. Like, that's that's the crazy thing about the George Lucas prequels. Because it's like two different directors. Because every single bit of dialogue in that movie is so boringly directed. Mm. It's it, it's literally that. that like, no, no joke. They had two cameras. They shot, uh, you know, close-ups of both actors at the same time. And then they did a master wide, uh, and and every single uh, scene in that movie is blocked the same. It's characters walk in standing up, they like shake hands or bow, and then they sit on a couch, and then eventually one person will stand up and look out a window, and that's the whole scene. That's every single <laughs> scene of dialogue, and it's all covered in a two close ups and a wide, and then it cuts from that to absurd action yeah. with like cameras like flying through cities and in and out of cars and people like jumping out of spaceships and crazy stuff and then it's just like people on a couch in a wide and a close-up it's so weird like the the difference between the, those those sequences because george showed no restraint on his computer animated sequences but way too much restraint on his dialogue sequences and as such that it just feels like we cut from a soap opera to mm. a visual effects reel. It's, it's a crazy kind of tonal shift throughout those movies. Mm. Yeah. So coming back to um, what we what I was what we were talking about before, in terms of the story itself, mm. did you make was it a conscious kind of decision on your behalf to go, I want to tell something that's quite topical politically and really push the envelope with that? Uh, ab- absolutely not. Like it really wasn't our, our intention. But like that said, like we, we certainly didn't shy away from it. Like we uh we wanted there to be some truth to the show because it just it's it's going to make you connect with the character a bit more and you know ho- hopefully you do feel a bit for Jack like like Jack is a bit of a of you know an absurd performance and to a degree 
but I, I hope that you know there is a little bit of humanity to them and it helps because you want to feel sorry for him you want to feel of him as an outsider and he is an immigrant mm. and so it would make sense that he has kind of like an like an immigration social worker and that you know some some politicians like especially that's where the kind of immigration sort of allegory comes in with our like evil sort of right-wing politician characters who are trying to stop the cloaks which is like a on, on the nose lame line that i kind of regret but uh <laughs> uh you know that, that that just kind of came naturally like when, when your when your story is about somebody moving to a strange land and that strange land is modern melbourne like we had to make it about immigration otherwise mm. the show just wouldn't have made sense but mm. we didn't write the show as to be a bit of leftist propaganda you know uh we we wrote the show to be funny and that stuff just kind of kind of came out of it uh the most of the political stuff in there is probably more influenced from nick uh for example like people kept uh I, I did a couple of interviews for the show and people were like oh that that guy pierce's character he's, he's quite a lot like andrew bolt and i was like i have never actually watched andrew bolt i don't really know who that is yeah, like i'm, I'm, sure I'm so out of the loop about that stuff like but nick's nick's a bit more politically charged than i am right. but uh but yeah we, we we both knew that was where the show was gonna go and that's fine because mm. it, i don't think it ever stopped the show from being funny like we don't like go and have long one of the things we do in the show is every time it gets sincere we immediately undercut that sincerity. Every time there's a moment that's a bit cute or a bit uh, emotional, like it, we immediately cut that down. I, I just find that really funny because, like, I, I'm I'm so sick of cute cutesiness and uh, being cute is so easy. I think, mm. and every film is cute, and I I just I can't stand cuteness. Mm. I think it works brilliantly. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, what what is your working relationship with uh, with Nick like? Oh, Nick! Nick's good. Nick and I is great. We uh, we What's went to his high- surname. Uh, Nicholas Issel. Nick Issel. Okay. We went to high school together. Like we're with buddies from way back. Yeah, right. Like he was one of the lead characters in Doomsday. So mm. and and he's every sketch I do. Nick's usually in it or holding a camera or something. We've just been like you know best friends forever, and so that works well. That was one of the most fun times of my life was just writing that show. You know, Nick, uh, Nick and I in, in the same basement. I'd end up being trapped in with Chris. We'd just spend all day together just writing the stupidest shit and then we'd get like writer's block so we'd go and like watch legend uh and try and get some inspiration from that and realize that's impossible because that movie is crazy um <laughs> and it was so fun also we were living in the same apartment complex at that time mm. so uh we we just we spent so much time together at that point that we were just you know living and breathing each other's air the whole time uh, yeah it was so much fun i'd mm. really like to keep writing with him as, as we move on that'd be good it's awesome. It's great to find someone that you collaborate with so uh, succinctly. Yeah, well, I, I think it's because we've been friends since we were 14 or whatever that we, we just have the exact same tastes. Like, I mean, well, we, we, we do differ on some things. Like, I'm, he, he, I feel like he, he, like he's much more into like comic books and graphic novels and stuff, and therefore he, he brings all of that influence. Whilst I, I think, watch more like serious science fiction than him like he, i think he gets pretty bored of anything that's a bit dramatic whilst mm. I, I i like to sort of balance i mean i, I really like serious movies and funny tv yeah, yeah. Uh, whilst was he kind of likes funny everything uh and and so i feel like in in that way we we bring different elements to the table but ultimately we find the same thing funny which mm. is which is fucking awesome like i, I just remember like there's a character in the show called Butterman who is just like a stupid character but i just remember when we came up with him it was just so such like we just like, were crying with laughter in the writers room and, and that's such a joy i don't know if that character came together super well but uh, yeah. it's no, a it it's a fun great. little moment like um we can just riff well together like I, I i i this is my recollection of coming up with one scene is that we we had this thing where jack has like a hermione bag from harry potter where he can just reach into his bag and it's a tiny little bag but it's just full of shit 
And so he keeps pulling out big bean cans. And we're just writing a little scene like that. And then Nick came up with like an idea of suddenly a, a skeleton, uh, a skeleton finger would come out. And I thought that was funny. And we were both laughing at that. And I sort of came up with a line of like, oh, that, that's Boney Tony. And then we both laughed so hard at the name Boney Tony. <laughs> and then Nick just said, he's my yoga instructor. And then we both laughed so much at the idea that Jack would have a, a, a yoga instructor in his bag called Boney Tony. Mm. And then, you know, the scene ends with Boney Tony falling out of the bag. And Nick just came up with Lutus being like this weird <laughs> yoga word that he could say. I, it sounds really bad now, but like in the moment and in the show, I think it's really, I'm really happy with it in the show. But like in the moment in the writer's room, it was just something like, I couldn't do this with anybody else. Like, mm. you know, if, if no one else would have come up with suddenly a skeleton man comes out of the bag. And then if I, I come up with the name Boney Tony, no one else is going to add to that. But he does, you know, mm. he just, he, it, it works. So we just, I think we're great at developing each other's jokes. Whoever comes up with the original joke, like if he comes up with a joke, I think I can take it to a, a, a funnier place. And if I come up with a joke, Nick can definitely take it to a funnier place. And it, it's just such a good relationship like that. Mm. That's amazing. And you also did the music. What mm. score for um for wizards? Well, uh, I don't really know actually what your kind of what what your history or relationship with music is. All I know is that you had an awesome idea for a music video, so you wrote a song for it. <laughs> yeah, in which you played all the instruments. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, produced it all. I I, I made a, a I sort of I, I guess I was trying to do all of my dreams, <laughs> all of my dreams in one lifetime, like. You know, I, I'd sort of made this show for the internet, this Doomsday thing, and I was happy with that. So it's like, oh, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, and I just kind of made a film. I just always want to be a musician. I could just make an album, and so I just made an album. Uh, and because it's, this it's was so under road gig, uh, yeah, yeah, that was the name of the band. I, I cringe when I hear the name of anything I've ever done. I've only right. just been able to start saying Doomsday uh, without sweating. But even though I can't say <laughs> Doomsday Arcade, that makes me cringe. I can I can shorten things. I don't even call the show the Wizards of Oz. I have to short call it Wizards mm. or like you know the show. I can't like when I say like oh you know like the music the, the CD I can't say road geek because it's I, I don't know it makes me feel really really self conscious mm. um, even time trap I don't like saying that I like, I just call it like oh you know yeah that that little space movie that's just what it becomes I, I can't I have a real problem with with being sincere I mm. think in artwork and and so I struggled a lot when I was doing that music stuff because I don't like goofy music you know uh, Frank Zappa like accepted uh, but. You know, I wanted to I wanted to make an album, so I, so I did because you know you can just do it again. It, it's like if you want to make a film, like it's so easy to make a film these days. It, you just got to give time and 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 learn things. And so, I, I uh, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty good at guitar and and piano. I, I don't feel like a dick saying that. It's just kind of true. And I'm I'm not a terrible terrible singer. And I wanted to kind of sing, and I sort of did some drums and stuff, and ended up just kind of making an album and putting it on Spotify because you can and it sucks like like you know like I was proud of it at the time and I still look back and I'm like like it's not the worst thing in the world but fuck it makes me cringe mm. like I, I just can't stand doing serious stuff which is a bummer because I've now just done the music for the show and I've realized how much I love recording music and I kind of want to do another album <laughs> just because it'd be fun to do it uh, well, I'd like to but I think I don't know I, I just really struggle with with like uh, public sincerity I, I think it's a real issue of mine and, and so I want to write lyrics but I'm not good at writing lyrics and, mm. and so I end up writing lyrics that are and I especially don't like writing lyrics that have a discernible meaning that would expose any genuine sincerity so I end up writing like really obtuse words that just phonetically sound good and have meaning so like deeply buried in them that mm. it's just uh, 
uh, impenetrable, I, I guess. But uh, the show was therefore a godsend to do the music for, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to do the music, so we'd sort of hired a guy who was going to compose for the show. But I, and he's much better than me. Like he's a great composer, but it was always as a last resort because I really wanted to do it. I just didn't know if he had time. And then I was just like, "Damn it, I'm just gonna do it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way." So, yeah, I, it was really fun because the music of the show is divided up into kind of two different sections, and one of which is orchestral, like the the battle scenes and the and the kind of since like you know like romantic moments where where it really is like score. And doing that was amazing because like I, I've never really done orchestrated style music before and i was really happy with it I, you know I, i'm really proud of it I, th- I think i did a pretty decent job and then i brought in that composer that we had uh to sort of like he, he ended up like producing the score so i i'd record all the score and he'd then come in and make sure it was like mixed correctly and like all oh, these strings are the wrong strings you know because it's all midi obviously like mm. and and you know change the voices around so it really sounded nice and balanced uh and then there's the other side of the music for the show which is more like uh i guess like uh, like like modern music, I I went for a slightly like unknown model orchestra y kind of feel. Uh, all all of the music is based on a, or most of it is based on Optigan samples, which is this obscure Mattel, uh, like it was like a toy sampler from the sixties from Mattel, <laughs> and uh, what it did is it was a sampler where they had recorded orchestras playing, or like orchestras and full bands playing uh, like little riffs, and it would they would record that onto an optical or optical disc, mm. which is essentially like a vinyl. And this Optigan is like a keyboard with like a vinyl inside it. And you push a button for like a C major and it plays the C major loop. It just drops a needle on the, uh, on the organ, on, sorry, on, on the vinyl mm. and loops it. And so I, I used a lot of that as the backing, as like kind of the backing basis, basis for these, these, these tunes, because especially when everything's all electronic, everything sounds so crisp and, and soulless and like shitty. And so to go back to something that was like, like kind of crappy and distorted and a bit sixties as your, as your basis, and then do all the melodies and, uh, and, and kind of drums on top of that, I think gives it like a really interesting quality. Mm. Like if I, if I do another album of music, I think most of it will be kind of Optigans and Mellotrons, like old, old school uh, tape samples and stuff. I just, I love that sound. Mm. I think yeah, I think you did a great job with the music. Um, didn't even really occur to me that you would have done it until I, was, I think we we're about halfway through the episodes. I went, I reckon Shanks did the music, and then I saw your name in the credits. Oh, right. doing the music, I was like, that little bastard. Yeah, it's too it's too much fun not to, you know. Like yeah. that's that's gonna be hard moving on to, it, you know, if I'm lucky enough to move on to like bigger projects, is that I won't be allowed to do this stuff anymore because better people will be able to do it, hopefully, mm. which is great. Williams, but, but man, I, I want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, I, I said better people, you know, I think me and Johnny Williams, we're kind of... Probably, yeah, on par. Probably pretty equal. Yeah, yeah. He, wouldn't lower his, he wouldn't lower your seat in his podcast. No. Well, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious about what this kind of self-deprecating, like you're, you, you've said a couple of times that you're, you have a little bit of discomfort in sincerity and even talking about being in the show um anytime there was a sincere moment underpinning it and kind of pulling the rug out i actually think there's a lot of sincerity in the show oh thanks um in in a really in a really positive way but i am curious for you what do you think that is about i don't know um i I, i've just always i i mean i guess i just find everything funny like i i think it's part of like being the sort of person who like loves Tim and Eric, you know, like w- once you get to that stage of like full, full cynicism and like full irony, which isn't, you know, which I, I sort of think is a bad thing. Like I, I wish that I was, um, you know, I could see the world f- for, for good and, and, and stuff, but 
but just everything and like kind of I don't know everything annoys me I'm actually like a, I'm a pretty positive guy mm. um, I'm, I'm not like a sad sack but I, I, I can just see the the artifice in, in everything like that's why things like Facebook drive me crazy I almost mm. never post things on Facebook and every time I go on Facebook I just get so annoyed because anybody who posts anything on Facebook this is a full rant now I'm God. sorry like if somebody posts say if I have a link that I think my friend Chris who we've spoken about will like and I copy the link and I post it on Chris's wall, like, hey, Chris, check this out. I'm not saying, hey, Chris, check this out. I'm saying, hey, everyone on Facebook, look that I'm sending Chris this link. Mm. Because otherwise I'd send him it in an email or a private message. Mm. Like, and, and even just like that, like, everything about that really annoys me, which is so stupid. It's such an innocent little thing. People just sharing little links and little gifts online and stuff. And then I've got to be this, like, I just feel like the Scrooge, you know? I, I just have to, like, steer clear of it. Mm. Um, and, and I think once you start you know sort of uh finding everything funny and sort of taking the piss of basically everything you you know that you're and then you're trying to do something sincere you're completely putting yourself up for for the same piss taking and you know i I know all my friends are assholes i love them but like you know like my friendship group and i mean that in a really good way like my friendship group we're not uh i don't have that many friends like in film like all my close friends i aren't film people like i don't really hang out with film people and I think film people are really, really uh, positive and really, really mm. enthusiastic, which is great and awesome. The opposite of the music industry, as far as I can tell. Because <laughs> when I did some music stuff, everyone, slight tangent, but the difference from, in my experience, and I'm probably wrong, of the music industry versus the film industry, is that everyone in music is an arsehole. Mm. Everyone is so jaded in like the worst way. But in film, everyone's like cool. Everyone like wants to do stuff. Everyone wants to help out. Like everyone's really, really nice. But I, I found my little experiences in the music industry to be like, it's really kind of negative and like bitchy and jealous and awful and yuck. It might uh, just be the circles that you mix in. Yeah, it probably was, you know, but I mean, even things like venue owners and stuff often seem to be such like nasty people because I suppose they, they live in these like blacked out rooms that smell like beer and sweat whilst they watch other people live out their rock star dreams. Like mm. it, it's got to be a strange life. But, um, you know, I, I think my, my friends are also very cynical people. And then f- to know that if I go and make music that is, you know, like emotionally charged and sincere, I just kind of know that, oh, that little, I know my friends are laughing at me behind my back. And that really kind of, even if it's in good fun, like it really breaks my heart and that makes that really hard for me to do. I guess I'm just really self-conscious. Mm. Do you, this is a slight um, deviation, but do you <clears throat> consider yourself a, a religious person or a person of faith? at all no no not not really um, by not really i mean not not at all uh, i'm not like a hardcore atheist or anything but i i i mean i, I guess i'm an atheist although I, I find that word problematic you mm. know because it it can be it feels like a loaded word it feels like it's charged with like the choice of being an atheist and yeah, like yeah. almost like practicing atheism when really it's just like i just don't believe in any religion. Mm. Uh, I had a I had a discussion with this with my friend Laji, who's like uh, like the smartest, most frustratingly intelligent person <laughs> on the planet. And, and you know, like we have the exact same beliefs, but he was arguing that I should consider myself an agnostic as opposed to an atheist. But I, I hate both of those expressions, you know, because mm. like they're they're both kind of charged. Like atheist implies the sort of like uh, Richard. Oh, no, no, not even Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is fine, but like atheist to me implies like a Bill Maher kind of like asshole, and agnostic to me implies like a kind of like Duncan Trussell spacehead, and I don't see, see myself as either. I, I'm just like happily disconnected from that entire world. Mm. 
I recently discovered uh, Duncan Trussell. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I did a podcast with um, a guy. Do you know who Rum Dus is? Mm, yeah. So I did a podcast with like Rum Dus's like, right-hand man. Oh, shit. Um, and his name is Ragu Marcus. And um, he is good friends with Pete Holmes and Duncan Trussell. Uh, and he yeah, said you should check out Duncan Trussell's um, podcast so I did and then now all three of them have been doing podcasts on each other's podcasts because they were just right, on a retreat yeah. together and uh, Raghu right, said yeah. he'd uh, introduce me to Pete Holmes to be on my podcast so that'd maybe, be maybe, amazing maybe that'll happen Pete Holmes is one of my heroes I love Pete yeah. Holmes like, he, he's, like a, he's like a hero of mine just from podcasting yeah, like, in a way like, I, don't, I don't know that I I don't dislike a stand up I think a stand up's good but it's not like that's not what attracts me to him it's, mm. it's his podcasting and it's his just kind of attitude towards life i mean that that almost like i used to be a, like i used to be more of an atheist atheist if you know what i mean like but everybody i think is when they're a teenager if, mm. if, if they don't if they're a non-believer uh my girlfriend was as well and, and you know now we're just both like just i just think regular people but you know pete holmes as podcast has really kind of opened me up to just being more open-minded about religion but like like still no nah. mm. Uh, it still doesn't really do anything for me but uh, you know like that that show I, I like listening to his show when he's talking about religion uh sort of as a like kind of quasi believer that he is as a christ-leaning spiritualist i think he calls himself right. yeah um because yeah like like but back in the day i wouldn't have listened to that podcast i just would have found it nonsense and now i'm like i don't buy this stuff but it's an enjoyable uh sort of like philosophical uh kind of just round table that these guys have mm. i really really like that yeah, um, but like yeah, Pete Holmes—he's doing this new show with Judd Apatow, and I love Pete Holmes, and I wish him the best. But I don't—I wouldn't be surprised simultaneously if that show were great or terrible. Mm. <laughs> It'd be hard to say. Yeah, it'll be—is that the pilot that he's been doing recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Um, so, meaning of life—just not really anything. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, no, I, I yeah, I, I don't think of life as having much of a meaning. I, I just, just think the meaning that you give it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like. I guess if you're looking for like a tenant by which I live my life, it's just kind of like, like don't be an arsehole and have fun. Mm. Like, I guess that's it. Just like, like do what you want. <laughs> that's, that's really it. As long as it's not raping small children. That's true. That is a tricky area. It's <laughs> a bit of a gray area there. Yeah. Cause I mean, one thing that kind of gives me guilt sometimes is the fact like I really like traveling, but I don't like love, love traveling. Like, you know, people, like there's some people and they just, they just travel. That's mm. their life. And I always feel Nomadic. like, why do I want to do that? Like, like, why, why do I feel fulfilled sitting at a computer, you know, kind of, kind of making work? Like, that, that's, that's bad of me. Like, I should want to go out and go be hiking around Machu Picchu, and I would love to do that, sure. Mm. But like, I never feel like compelled to do that, like some people. And that makes me think that I'm missing out on the meaning of life, which is to explore more of the Earth. But you know, maybe you know, I'm just like enjoying exploring more of my brain. <laughs> well, as a filmmaker. Oh, that's true. Get around the world. Get around the world. Yeah. Um, and you said just before, a few times you mentioned um, your girlfriend and mm-hmm. the relationship that you guys have. You guys have been together for ages. Yeah, you? ages now. Like way too long. Uh, like, um, be, I think it'll be seven years. Wow. Was, yeah, yeah, a long time. It's a great milestone. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. I think that there's there's a funny thing which you've probably seen in the, in the film biz where relationships either kind of live or die. Um, And I've spoken to a lot of people on this podcast about this because I'm quite fascinated by 
the fact that some people find it really challenging to sustain a relationship whilst working in the film industry and some people have absolutely no difficulty at all and in fact they kind of collaborate and have this beautiful symbiosis um what's your experience of that been I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know anything else to, to compare it to. But I mean, sort of looking at other people's relationships, maybe one of the reasons we work really well is that we're not both in the film industry. I mean, I, I don't know. But then again, like, you know, we, we, we both know Collar and, and he and Nicolette are like the best couple ever. Mm. You know, and I know you're talking to Paul on the show and he and Tegan work really, really well together. As far as I don't really know those guys, but, you know. Um, but I don't know. I just think Louis and I, we just kind of, we just get on. Like, it, it, there's... Which is like the most boring response ever, but I think our relationship... No, but it's true. That's the fundamental kind of thing. Well, yeah, like, it, it, the, it just comes down to me, to Louis, like, it just is my best friend. Like, no matter what I want to do, like, I want to either be doing it with Louis, well, lol, doing it, uh, <laughs> uh, or, like, be immediately telling her about it. Like, it's mm. just, yeah, it's just like, it's, I, it's like a perfect relationship. I, I'm completely in love with being in love. It's great. Because mm. uh, it's like no pressure Like uh, you know We all know couples as well Who like fight a lot And like we just We just don't really fight Like obviously every relationship You occasionally like Get annoyed at each other But we just don't fight We just like like Get on perfectly And maybe the reason it Well not This isn't the reason obviously But I think what's uh, We don't live together uh, Which after seven years I think is Maybe quite rare For most couples But um you know, it, I, I think in some ways that allows us to, to not get sick of each other. I mean, obviously we'll live together uh, eventually. You know, eventually, I imagine, we'll get married and have children. But, uh, you know, it's really nice kind of having like our own private space as well because I'm pretty annoying. And so, you know, if, if she had to live with me all the time, I'm sure she'd be, you know, leaving pretty soon. Mm. Mm. But um, I, I also, I was, uh, I was in a relationship with her before I was like in this industry. Like, I, I feel... You know, I feel like a lot of film people are kind of defined by the fact that they're in the film industry, uh, for, for better or for worse. And obviously, that's like a huge part of my life because like, I'm a big career-focused guy and I love making films and I love all my work. But I still don't really think of myself as an industry guy. Like, I, I don't go to a lot of industry parties. I don't, you know, as I said, I, I don't really hang out with film people. Like, I, I, I still hang out with my high school friends mm. and, and they, all, they all make fun of me for being in the film industry. Like, you know, some of them call me Mr. <laughs> Hollywood just to take the piss. And it's so it's so great. Yeah. It, it, it's just so great that I don't have to like, cause, cause otherwise if I hung out with film people all the time, I would, I would always be at work, you know, I'd always be at work, but, but, and I think that's kind of it with Louis as well. We were together before all this kind of film stuff happened. I mean, I was doing doomsday at the time, but you know, that doesn't count. Cause that was, again, no film people were involved in that it was me and my friends. And, and so I guess an answer to your question about like, relationships in this industry i think our relationship is really clear of it which is great which is funny now because louis louis uh, uh has graduated as a uh, as a 3d animator <laughs> so she's, she's in the industry now but uh you know even then she we still have the same friends and we, mm. we don't really deal with the industry unless we're doing work and she's got a great collaborative partner to uh work with her 3d animating oh it's awesome yeah she animated the dragon in our in our oh, show wow. which is pretty good i think she did an amazing she job did a great job yeah she did the dragon and the uh the uh unicorn like the little little paper unicorn yeah, yeah. also she's the voice of the unicorn oh, uh, wow. yeah which is fun so we, we got to do a little play breakup uh which was which was a fun fun thing <laughs> did you enjoy collaborating with her oh man yeah it's it's so much fun like i I still wish that I could cast my friends in every single role. It's just now, now that we're older and these things are, you know, have to be of a higher standard, that's just a bad idea because, you know, not many of my friends are actors. Mm. In fact, none of them are actors. But still, like Nick, for example, Nick Issel, who I wrote the show with, he's not an actor. 
but he he does a couple of roles in the show and he's fucking hilarious because he's a naturally funny guy he was lord mummy mm. he was uh the the hat the talking hat and um you know sam one of my best friends he's he plays he's got a little line in the show you, I, you would have met sam i think because he was mm. there on one of the night days he's the oh, picked a hell of a day to stop drinking night yeah, and it's yeah. like, I, I love bringing my friends in to kind of do little bit parts like that because it can be really fun for for just like little roles bringing bringing in friends to do stuff especially because if they're like smaller roles sometimes i feel really guilty bringing in actors you know because like i mean i mean you know you've got a couple of lines in the show but you're a really good actor and i feel as though was it mean of me to make you like drive out to Cryle Castle and put on hey this man, shit? You paid me. Yeah, I guess that's true. Because you know, if you're an actor, I feel like maybe the joy of that just for a line is kind of just annoying. Whilst for somebody who's a non-actor, you know, they're so thrilled to come and do a little one line that like it's it's a real joy for them to come along mm. and do. Whilst I'd understand if actors who you know have sort of seen how the sausage is made and they don't care so much anymore about doing something that isn't juicy mm. might might not care too much to come along. Yeah, maybe perhaps your perception of um, of my of me, for example, uh, as a performer is slightly skewed. I, I was just fucking thrilled to be involved. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was thrilled to have you there. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, one of your lines was cut. I, I, saw hope, that. I hope that didn't. You yeah. bastard. I know, and it wasn't. It wasn't because of you. It was because of me. It really was. That was one. Of, that was just like a bad little bit of acting of no, me in response. I wasn't, but yeah. wasn't particularly phased. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm Don't sorry. take these things personally anymore. Did, did you like the explosion behind you? I did. Yeah, I cool. also liked me just being in the background. Oh yeah, you, you were doing some funny stuff. That was down. great in the editing. Just realizing, <laughs> like, Al, Al, there's a there's a conversation that happens in episode two, and Al's just in the background yeah. <laughs> doing stuff. Yep. Just like, yeah, it was real good. I remember you told me to do something. I can't remember what it was. It was like, be pissed off at everyone for letting them escape or something. And I was like, all right. Grumble, grumble. Yeah, just doing something with a sword. I, I can't even remember. Um, but that's a little Easter egg for people to find in yeah, episode fans, two. Fans are coming up next. Can yeah, see Alice and Mark hanging out in the background. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of staple questions that I, I like to ask everyone, which you may have heard in the episode with mm-hmm. Paul. The first one is... Uh, I'm I'm really fascinated. I mean, this show is a kind of a vomit of philosophy and um, uh, history, mm-hmm. and for me, everything usually comes down or bo- can often boil down to one moment in your kind of childhood or shaping where you did something that's kind of relevant to what you do now. For me, it was doing like little shows for my family. And then subsequently starting to film them as well and uh, doing that sort of stuff. Do you remember the first time that you kind of did filmmaking or performing or comedy or something? Um, I, I certainly did some show-offy things as, as a kid. Um, I, I used to like put on like plays with like my teddy bears and stuff for my you know disinterested parents yeah. <laughs> who were very polite. And I, I, God, I've never told anybody this because I just haven't thought of it for years. And it's kind of embarrassing. It's also not a great story because I don't really remember that well. But I do remember that I once wrote like a, I guess like a one-man play when I was like seven. Wow. And asked my teacher if I could do it for the class. And she was like, sure. And so we had, everyone sat down to watch me do my show and I remember walking out to start doing the show and I started laughing, thinking about how funny the show was going to be. <laughs> and then I said, sorry, guys, I can't do it. It's too funny. I'm just going to laugh. And, and that was it. That was my performance. I just stood in front of the class, laughed a lot and then chickened out. And so uh, maybe maybe that answers all the questions of like, I like performing, but fear judgment. 
was going to say it would have been genius if the script was walk out on stage, laugh a whole lot, say that you can't do exactly. the show because you'll laugh so much, yeah, like, and then leave, and that was your one man. Little show. Andy Kaufman thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, I remember one time. I don't mean this in the douche way that's going to come out, but I think like like certainly like with music, like music's just always been like kind of easy for me. Um, that, that doesn't mean I'm good at at it at all, but it just means like you know like like some people are great at reading, some people are good at you know like learning other languages. But for me, like like music just is really like second nature to me. I think like my my superpower is that I can listen to a song and play it like immediately. Mm. And I remember as a, as a kid, I was it was like the school concert and i was learning the flute at the time which i gave up pretty quickly and i had also just asked the person who was like programming i would have been like six or seven like programming the music night if i could do a piano song is something on the piano as well and i didn't tell my parents and so it was like a surprise for them that i went up and played the piano at the thing and but what was going on was a huge lightning storm outside and I remember whilst I was playing Alouetta, you know, the most complex piano piece of music ever, ever made, that I spent the... In- I didn't even realize I was doing it, but afterwards people were coming up and saying that they were impressed that I had played the song without ever looking at the piano because I was watching the lightning outside. And there's these photos of me just, like, looking out the window playing the piano. And I think, like, that's, that's like, an early memory of me being kind of like a, I don't know, like a performy, music guy, and also just kind of, like, pretty self-involved to just be, like you know, living out the window whilst still doing the thing. Mm. Is that self-involved? I don't think it's self-involved. Oh, sorry. That's self-involved. Just kind of like, like I, I guess like in, in my own world in a way, like I kind of like wasn't present. Yeah, I wasn't present. But maybe mm. I was too present because I was, I was, I was, you know, with, you with so the lightning. Yeah. You feel the music while the lightning was going. Yeah. Yeah. Why Tim Tim Fed? Oh, that's just, um, I wonder what usernames are going to be like in the future. But that's mm. a different topic. But I mean, that was just kind of my username for everything. Like, you know, when you start online gaming, when you're playing Counter-Strike, you, you need a username. And mine was always Tim Tim Fed. And, and that comes from the first teddy bear I ever had. The first teddy bear I ever had was just a tiny little generic teddy bear. And my mom was like, what are you going to name him? And I'm like, oh, Tim Tim Fed. That's a normal thing to come up with. Yeah. But uh, uh, that's just what I came up with. And, and so... That was just like something I guess I was like, oh, it's like a little name I, I had in my brain. So I was like, username, oh, this is Tintin Fed. And then, you know, I ended up making some YouTube videos and I had already registered that account because that was just my account name for everything. Mm. And and yeah, and now that there's people who pay attention to that account, it's kind of like a like a, a bit of a thing. Which Homage is, to a teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I still have them somewhere, which is fun. It's just an old, old name. Mm. God, I never think about that, but it's so stupid. I think it's kind of cool, personally. <laughs> well, I mean, it's better than than calling it like Michael Shanks on YouTube. Like, I don't know. Like, I <laughs> like. I mean, well, that's another thing. Like, like back. I guess like with the self consciousness stuff. Like when doing like the music and releasing an album, like, I had no reason not to call that band Michael Shanks. It was just me. But like the concept of that just makes my skin crawl, mm. and so I had to come up with some shitty suit. Not not a pseudonym, but just like like kind of like pretend it was a band rather than like being a being a guy mm. Mm. and so when you've actually done live gigs you've had to employ people to be in your band yeah yeah we only ever did a couple of live gigs we managed to luck into doing like a like just do it through some like narcissistic uh sorry uh is narciss- narcissist uh through some um, nepotistic through some like nepotistic connections we ended up like supporting an opening for the stranglers at a gig which was pretty cool, wow, that's cool. but really like that was you know like the, like the the best and worst gig like we we were bad i was bad you know we, we didn't we hadn't rehearsed well we would never it was never a live music thing it was just kind of a recording thing but it was fun to play live the few gigs that we did 
I, I like to pretend that you just did it so you could make those music videos. Yeah, well, it was... Uh, I mean, I, I was compelled to write the music, but then, you know, I probably wouldn't have actually ever released it unless I'd come up with the music video idea because then I, I thought the music video was a good idea and then I did it and I liked the music video and then I thought like, well, no, now I've got to release the album, I guess, and now I've got to like you know try and make it as a musician or something like it suddenly because because I, I released the music video i i entered into like a, in a competition at the saint kilda sound thing and and ended up like you know winning best music video which was not anticipated at all and, and it was almost just like you know like some of the prizes was like oh like through this like you end up with like this management from this thing and, and some money i was like this should really go to a real band because i'm just like a guy like i'd like to do music stuff but i i, I don't have the tenacity I don't, I don't have the balls to kind of be a musician in mm. that way you know I, I just want to write stuff in my bedroom and release it and have people you know not tell me that i'm a loser <laughs> <laughs> you're very humble to put that into context for people who don't know what sound kill the festival is didn't you you tied with gautier for that uh no no, no but beat gautier that year oh, you beat yeah, gautier yeah. That year. Uh, i i tied best music video was with a children collide clip ah right directed by david michaud michaud mm. whatever and then i met david michaud i was like we actually share an award and he's like i don't know what you're talking about i was like <laughs> i yeah you're you're important i'm sorry animal kingdom <laughs> yeah i know man he's a nice guy he's a cool dude mm. uh there's one more question that i ask everyone but um, all the things that we've been talking about um, are available on your YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. All the uh, short films and videos and... A couple of music videos. Don't judge them. Mm. Um, at Tim Tim Fed is your Twitter. That's it. Yeah, T-I-M-T-I-M-F-E-D. That's like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all Tim Tim Fed. Yeah, cool. The last question that I ask everyone is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? I don't know. Um, as in, like, why am I a silly person, or what makes me feel silly? It's grammatically ambiguous. Ooh, that's that's a good one. Um, Nick Issel makes me silly when we hang out. Like, um, we most of the times I've laughed hardest in my life is because Nick and I have been doing something stupid together. That makes me very silly. I think what makes me biologically silly is is dad was very funny like my mom's very straight but like dad's dad was hilarious and like my brother's really really funny so i think like that's where i kind of get my silliness from mm. and also like i grew up on a on a farm like a non-working farm we weren't farmers but we lived on a farm for some, some reason and and so i didn't like have like neighborhood kids to hang out with so like i mean you know i think a, a lot of like funny people not that i'm necessarily saying that i'm funny but like to self-mythologize themselves and think of like like grand origin stories but I think there's a common theme of like kind of like isolated kids kind of maybe turn out to be a bit funny, like a, a bit like kind of like introverted, uh, isolated kids. And that was a lot of my childhood was playing Nintendo at home or hanging out with the goats. You know, like mm. it wasn't a lot of like playing sport on the on the road, bit of road cricket. It was just like kind of being kind of like, like alone. Mm. And that, that sounds sad. It wasn't sad. It was wonderful. It was awesome. I had an amazing childhood. Uh, and so maybe that that makes me silly. Mm, that would certainly contribute to your this uh, uh, outstanding imagination and the freedom that you have within that. I'm sure. Do you have any um, uh, memories of like of like family just being silly? Um, no, not really. My my brother has the craziest stories 
that I can't tell. <laughs> my, my brother They're is... always the best ones. Yeah, my, my brother's the funniest guy in the world because he, like, he, he, he works, like, in, in an office and he's, like, really successful, like, he, in, in the corporate world. He's doing great. Uh, you know, he's got a house, got a wife, like, doing the full thing, but, like... He, he was a scumbag as a teenager right. and hearing him like relive those stories like after a drink is the funniest stuff ever so yeah. so clearly there is a precedent for being a bit a, a, a bit silly in my family mm, cool thank you so much for doing this Dude, thank you for having me this has been a joy my pleasure and I will see you in the land of the wizards see you on the internet mate oh yeah <laughs>